Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 356. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Dogs Don't Wear Pants, which is currently streaming on Shudder. We'll also be going over some more watching on the watch list, new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That'd be super helpful. This episode is sponsored by Podcorn, but we'll talk about that in just a bit couple housekeeping notes to go over before we dive into our review. First off, I want to welcome Andy B as our new patron. You can become a patron of Film Pulse at patreon.com slash Film Pulse. We have a new Ryan Watches a Movie coming out this week. Uh, we had him watch Free Fire. He wanted action, so we gave him the Ben Wheatley film from, I think it was 2016 when that came out. That was a surprise. And another one of those surprise episodes. Yeah, I mean, you can't pin this guy down. No. You have no idea what's, what's going to happen. No, nah, he's all over the place. That guy's all over the place. The second part of the Saved by the 90s, uh, February episode will be coming out uh, Wednesday. Next Wednesday, I think. Yeah, next Wednesday. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first part, it is out right now. We talk about dark February thrillers. And I also released a supplemental video on the video games of Nightbreed. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash vids. Consider subscribing there too. Try to, I try to release all, like all the podcasts come out on there and then I'm trying to work on more video content this year. Yeah. Just a quick programming note. Uh, we will be off for the next two weeks. So. There will not be a show released next week or the following week. So yeah, two weeks and then we'll be back in it. I'll be out of the country, so I won't be able to see anything or record. I'm going to try to, I definitely want to see the invisible man, even though I'll be out of the country going yeah, to New international viewing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be in New Zealand, so I'm not going to run into any issues with like, um, translations or anything like that. So I remember when I saw, uh, what did I see in, uh, I was in Holland and I saw the Dirty Dozen. Is that, no, not the Dirty Dozen, the Magnificent <laughs> Seven, the one with Chris yeah. Pratt, the remake. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that in Holland. Oh, in God's name. You're in fucking Holland. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go see, I'm going to spend part of my vacation going to see the Magnificent Seven with Chris Pratt. I don't know. Fucking God. We were, we were in a, we were in a small city and there wasn't like a whole lot to do in the city. And we'd I'm already sure anything. I'm sure anything just walking around. Well, we, no, we did. We, we did. Walk, we did do a lot of walking around, but in the evening, like pretty much everything was closed. So we didn't really have much to do. So we're like, all right, let's just go see a movie. We're right by this multiplex. And I mean, I wanted to, it was in one of those Pathé uh, theaters, and I'd never been in one of those or anything, so it was an experience. It was good. I'm I'm glad we went. I mean, the movie sucked, of course, but come on. It was, it was still a good... I feel like you should be suspended from international travel for like a year <laughs> or two for that move. I... I, I... <laughs> Just on your passport. <laughs> I'm not allowed to leave the country for two years. I saw Magnificent Seven while in Holland. I, uh... The one with Chris Pratt. 
I wanted to go see something in Japan when I was in Japan last year, but I couldn't really find anything that I really wanted to see that I was interested in at all. There was like a Godzilla animated movie that was playing, but uh, it didn't have, there weren't any English subtitles. So I couldn't go see it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we will be off. I'll, I'll probably shoot out a, a tweet just to uh, remind everybody that uh, we're going to be taking two weeks off from the show. Uh, but we'll, you know, if we, if we plan things correctly, we would have like, evergreen episodes like ready to go that we could just release mm -hmm. you know just so we'd have something but you know that's not how we roll mm, not at all. all right let's dive into our review we're talking about dogs don't wear pants this is directed by jp volkiepa ua has lost his wife in a drowning accident years after he still feels numb and unable to connect with people Meeting Mona, a dominatrix, changes everything. All right. This is a Finnish movie. As, mm -hmm. as I said, it's streaming on Shudder, which is a, a horror streaming service, although this is not what I would call a horror movie by any stretch. No. So, Kevin, we'll start with you. What did you think of Dogs Don't Wear Pants? Uh, in in speak, speaking towards the, the horror you do get the 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 nail removal. Oh, we the yeah. Thumbnail removal. We'll get into yeah. that. There 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 are two <laughs> things, two things that always make me cringe, no matter what. And those two things are in this movie. Yeah, as soon as they showed him, you know, with that little bit of damage on his thumbnail, and he's kind of like pressing on it a little bit, I was just like, well, I know that's getting pulled off later. Yeah, looking forward to that that close up. It looks. Thank you. It looked so real too. I mean, as far as like nail pulling scenes in movies, this might have been the most realistic looking nail pulling scene. And the the, the grossest part is that, so I know we're getting like way ahead of ourselves with this. This is all but, we're going to talk about, actually. But the scene when it happens and he's pulling it off, he's like having a meeting with one of his colleagues like during the whole thing. And his colleague, I guess, doesn't even notice that it's happening. And he pulls the nail yeah. off, and then the the best part about that is that he that he touches it, and then he smells his hand to smell it afterwards. Yeah, I don't understand how his colleague did like didn't address that. Because not only but he takes it off and he puts it on the table and he just starts like pushing it, just like touching it like a button. And I guess he didn't see it happen. You would hear it. You would mm -hmm. hear it and you would see it. So many things. Okay. You might even smell but it. The rest, yeah, I just say <laughs> enough that he he checked out his finger. He knew that there was a scent to it. <laughs> Fucking disgusting. Uh, everything else, I guess we should talk about the rest of the movie. Probably a good idea. Um, but first and foremost, not my cup of tea. Second. I just, I don't, I actually saw like a couple of places refer to this as like a dark comedy, which is really confusing to me because I don't know like what, like what was supposed to be funny. Like nothing to me was even remotely funny outside of like him at the end dancing like an idiot with his, with his goofy smile. I could see that as being funny, but everything else is just did not come off that way and to me it's just it's 
unfortunately, I, I just didn't really see that deep of a, uh, like an examination or anything in terms of trauma or loss or this particular kink that he gets involved with and even Mona, what's going on with her character. <clears throat> I just did it, really nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Just did nothing. Just it just happened, and I just had to be there. Unfortunately, for me, I think I think it was a a somewhat intriguing examination of how this this death, his wife's death, how it affected him, and and how he was coping with it. But like you said, I don't think it was quite deep enough. Like they didn't they didn't fully explore you know, this, what he does and how he sort of reconnects with his dead wife. And I thought that they were going to explore Mona's character more and like, like what her story is, because sometimes the perspective does shift to her. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. we're going to see what, you know, like her personal life, like what her deal is and, and why she does this and if it you know if it's just paying the bills or if she's really into it or what like what what the whole deal is with her but they don't they don't really get into her character whatsoever so when there's a the the other thing that made me cringe is that there's a tooth pulling scene and when that happens i didn't understand like like i mean i guess she's she's into this but like it it i don't i don't quite get it like i thought that the motivations of the characters were really questionable a lot of times. They established the connection, right? And the connection makes sense, especially with uh, Eva's character where his wife dies in a drowning accident. He almost drowns trying to save her. So when it comes to the dominatrix thing with Mona, he gets strangled and it kind of like takes him back to that. And then he kind of gets addicted to it, which is weird, though, because it never really seemed like he had this, like, sexual connection to it. It didn't seem to be, like, a sexual angle or aspect into his, you know, this wanting to be strangled thing. Well, that the yeah, I was a little confused about that because one of the first scenes in the movie, it shows him with, like, his wife's underwear, and that is presented in a sexual context with his wife's underwear, like, over his face. And then he, and then, but then you're right. When he goes to Mona for the first time, it's not presented as a sexual thing. He's trying, it's like, he's trying to, like I said, reconnect with his wife who's passed on because when he gets strangled and passes out, it like reignites those memories and allows him to see his wife again. And then with Mona, you have, I guess, the connection we're supposed to gather from the little bit that we do get is that most of her, you know, workday is spent doing like, like rehab therapy for people, you know, with physical ailments and stuff. So she's constantly helping people, and I guess that her fantasy is to actually hurt people. But like you said, when it gets to the teeth pulling thing at the end, I don't really have this. Or even a lot of the other stuff that she did, I don't really see this connection as like like her really getting off on the idea of hurting people. It seemed more like she just like being in control. But I don't know. It's like, and then that's it. You know, it seems like it is like the examination is just one note where it's just like that's the connection. 
and that's it. Because even Yuha's character, like, he doesn't progress. Like, his this new thing that he's developed doesn't really progress, you know, in terms of, like, looking into it and, you know, what it means. It's just, like, he kind of gets addicted to it, and that's it. Right. There's no, there's right. no, there's really no arc to, to his character. No. He just, he discovers this thing that allows him to feel closer to his wife and he becomes obsessed with it. And that's it. <laughs> like that's, that's it. That's all there is to it. So yeah, there's no like real deep examination of it, which I think is really uh, a missed opportunity. Cause, it, cause it seemed like they were establishing these two as, like they were going to develop a relationship because they, they almost did at one point, like he kissed her one time and she seemed to be, she seemed to be kind of um, into him too. Like she seemed to be developing feelings towards him because she was kind of giving him special treatment and stuff. Like she wore the, the dress and all of that. And she even agreed to do that like in-home session thing when during the yeah. teeth pulling. But it just didn't really progress from there. I mean, I think that from, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to give away the ending, but I think from the ending we can maybe assume that they continued to develop their relationship. But the fact that it ended where it did didn't give us really anything to to latch onto. Like, I, I just didn't, I really wasn't just, I really wasn't feeling these characters at all. Like I, I thought that the, no. the guy, the guy was a complete asshole. I think he was like neglecting his daughter because of this. And, and well, that's even another, you know, this, this side narrative with his daughter kind of getting left behind when his, you know, his search for this being strangled. That just, again, that really goes absolutely nowhere. There's no arc to it. And then it's like, kind of, closed up at the end but not really at all yeah not really just and for a movie that spends so much time but at like really going nowhere and really developing nothing but progressing anything it's just you know it you start to feel it you know an hour and 45 minutes we turned in for me to like two and a half hours it felt like i'm just like okay Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants to get strangled again. Okay, he's stalking her again. Great. Going back to the dark comedy aspect of it, I didn't really find any of it to be funny either. There was one scene that kind of made me chuckle, and that was when he was just sitting on the couch with his like neck bracing on, and then there was that person vacuuming behind him. I don't know why, but I liked the way that that shot looked. That was pretty much it. I mean, I thought that there were certain aspects of it that were that were kind of cool. Like I liked how she handled the whole strangulation thing where she would put that glass ball in his hand with the like metal bowl underneath. So if he like passed out, he would drop it and she would know to stop. Mm -hmm. I like that the way that they showed that she was becoming closer to him was that the bag that she strangled him with became more translucent as their sessions progressed. I don't know if you noticed mm-hmm. that, but like the first one was like a completely black bag, and then the next one was like kind of uh, like a translucent, like white, and then the the next one was completely clear. I don't know. I thought yeah, that, that was a, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah, that's a nice touch. But unfortunately, there's just there's none of the like there's nothing here. 
there's, you know, there's none of that, you know, subtle complexity in the storytelling anywhere else in the in the film with, you know, why he's getting addicted to the strangulation and then, you know, just just weird divergences like where he ends up going on the date with the his daughter's music teacher for some reason out of nowhere and he wants to try and get into, you know, he's, <laughs> he's essentially trying to walk her through his, his newfound kink on a first date, which just seems ill-advised. It does. And it, of course it doesn't go well for him. And it's just... <laughs> Like he and he was such a nothing of a guy, outside of him being a dick in terms of you know, just ignoring his daughter all the time. Like he did, he like he, he didn't really talk. He didn't do anything. Yeah, this yeah. guy did nothing. Very blank. And then, he, and then he just stalks. And you can you know he you have a pretty good uh, guess that this is written by a man because of, you know most of it is like him just stalking Mona. The dominatrix and then at some point she's just like oh okay yeah come into my house right yeah come into my house like, Hello. No. <laughs> no. yeah uh, if, if they ever do a, an english remake of this i think steven merchant should play that guy he reminded me of steven yeah, merchant <laughs> i was actually looking forward to this because i heard a lot of great things like it, i think it won a bunch of awards uh on the festival circuit last year i think it Won some awards at Fantastic Fest, so I was I was pretty excited for this one, and uh, yeah, I was yeah. a bit let down, a bit let down with it. Yeah, same here because most of what I read, you know, when we were trying to decide between the two movies, pretty much everything that I read about Dogs Don't Wear Pants was you know praise, high praise. So I was like, oh, okay, here this is going to be one of those gems, the 2020 gem mm-hmm. that we find, but uh, no, not at all. Because not only did I find the narrative lacking, just like extremely lacking. But to me, also like the cinematography and everything, like even visually, there just wasn't anything there for me. I found it to be a little, uh, slightly average. Yeah, nothing, but I mean, nothing that's going to be memorable. No, yeah. no. I don't think anything really about this movie, other than the, the just the whole dominatrix aspect, is memorable. Like when she, when he, eh, maybe I'll hold off on that. That might be a spoiler. There, there was one scene that I thought was pretty gross. Like when, when he cuts, when he cuts his hand up. Which, yeah, that I love <laughs> that colleague again. He just completely smashes a glass door mm-hmm. inside, like a very nice hospital, where he, you know, he's apparently like one of the top surgeons. People around, you know, other workers. Other, you know, patients, and they just no one reacts whatsoever. They're just like, "Oh yeah, smash the door. Let's get back to work." Well, yeah, and then there was this whole thing where, <laughs> so because he smashed this this door, he has to go and do a psych eval, which we don't see. And like several scenes later, that guy comes back and is like, "Yeah, the results of your psych eval came back. You're in perfect health," <laughs> and, and and that's the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it's literally like they were looking for ways, like, oh man, we introduced this, but that means that this UI character is going to have to talk, and we don't really want that to happen. So we'll just have this other guy come back and be like, yep, you're good. Yeah. 
All right, uh, that's Dogs Don't Wear Pants. And again, that is on Shudder right now. So if you have the streaming service Shudder, you can check it out. I'd still recommend Shudder, by the way. It's a really great service. They got tons of stuff on there and they're always adding new stuff too. All right, let's give it a score. Uh, so for this one, I'm sitting at around uh, four and a half, five. Yeah, I'm going to go like a four. Before we dive into the watch list, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Podcorn. Now, if you're not familiar with Podcorn and you have a podcast, you need to check this out. Podcorn.com is a sponsorship marketplace that allows podcast creators to search through a robust set of sponsorship offers and pitch their site to potential advertisers. It's super easy to use and completely free. One thing I like about the service is you have complete control over who you want to approach, the amount that you want to charge, and the type of ads you want to do. So you could do a mid-roll ad like this one or a pre-roll ad before your show starts, or even do an interview with someone from the company you'll be working with. When I first signed up with Podcorn and was looking through the listings I specifically pitched to services and products, I thought not only would my listeners be interested in finding, but companies that I found to be reputable. And the thing is, there's an absolute ton of listings with new ones getting added every day. So there's always a reason to come back, see what was added, and then write up some pitches. The other thing I like is that you can even record your pitch to add a little bit of flair to it. So if there's a company on there and you really want to approach them, you can do a recorded pitch too, in addition to the written one. Again, it's super easy to sign up. Just head over to podcorn.com slash podcasters and get started in just a few minutes. Again, that's podcorn.com slash podcasters. All right, let's move on and talk about some of what we've been watching. I actually saw some stuff this week, believe it or not. I, I was, yeah, I was one a few weeks there where I'd didn't have a whole lot to talk about, but this week I do have some stuff. I saw Birds of Prey. This is the Harley Quinn movie that oddly got renamed just this, I think it was this past week, Warner Brothers renamed the movie. I think it was called, now it's called Harley Quinn mm-hmm. colon Birds of Prey what? or something like that. What? Yeah. You can't do that, can you? <laughs> they did it. They renamed it. <laughs> 2020 is the year of uh, strange, or I guess 2019 is when the start of that happened. But all these, all these movies getting patches and upgrades. Uh, at any, at any rate, I thought Birds of Prey was fine. Uh, there were a lot of aspects of it I liked. There were a few things that I really didn't like. Uh, the fight scenes I thought were quite good. The, the choreography, I, I think Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is a, a great choice, and I liked. Pretty much all of the other cast members of this. You have Mary Elizabeth Winstead in there, uh, Rosie Perez, uh, Journey Smollett Bell's in there too. Ewan McGregor plays uh, the bad guy, the villain in this, and he was really good as the villain. So it had that going for it. Um, yeah, again, the the action scenes were lots of fun. There's a scene where she goes into a police station and just fucks everybody up in this police station she has this like grenade launcher and she's just shooting people directly with a grenade launcher uh and it's it's pretty great the the things i didn't like about it uh most of the editing i thought was not to my taste lots of really fast cuts very frenetic the the structure of the movie feels all over the place like the movie will like she'll stop the movie because this is like a 
this is like a Deadpool style movie where it's breaking the fourth wall all over the place and she'll like stop the movie and then rewind and go back to this other thing. So there's, there's a lot of like non-linearity to it where she's jumping back and forth and telling like these side stories and stuff. And I found it to be a little bit too schizophrenic. And I know that it was designed that way specifically to cater towards Harley Quinn and her sort of her mind, her scattered mind. But for me, it was just too much. Like there was just too much adrenaline. In it. it was too messy, very, very, very messy. And lots of like really fast cuts and things. And, and I don't know, I, I just really wasn't into the, the um, editing style of it, but overall I thought it was f- fine. It was, I think that it should be doing better than it is. Uh, it's, it's, not doing very well at the box office, which I think is really unfortunate because I think that this has a lot of a lot of fun aspects of it. Perhaps one of the things that is bringing it down is the fact that it's rated R and it totally didn't have to be. They seemed to really want to make their version of Deadpool. And it, to my recollection, there's not even that much violence in it. Um, the R rating comes from the language, which often feels forced so it almost seems like when they were in the like early, early, um, like pre-production phase of this, that it might've been PG 13 at one point, And then they decided let's, let's make it R rated and add a, add a bunch of F bombs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe, maybe it would have fared a little bit better if it was PG 13, cause they didn't really fully commit to it being R rated either. So, uh, I don't know. Um, overall, I thought it was it was fine, but I, I don't think it's like a a must see in theaters or anything. I mean, maybe when it comes to to Netflix or whatever streaming platform. Yeah, it's still weird about the changing the title. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they did that. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> uh, I saw Harriet. Oh, okay. Uh, Kathy Lemon's biopic of Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Uh, this is, it's just a bit too elementary for my liking. Uh, That's what I heard. I, like, I, yeah. Like, I understand the pressure to kind of like dumb, dumb down this story in order to cater to like a larger general audience, like to try and bring as many people as possible. But it's like they did it just, just, just too much. They just went a bit too far with it because it really comes off as like a glorified children's story. Like it's really, really simple. And it actually, a lot of times, it feels like a made-for-TV movie from mm. like the 90s or mm-hmm. something. Like it's just, it's it's not good. Yeah, really I, good. I actually got that impression from the trailers. I haven't seen this yet, but from the trailers, uh, I even said at one point like that, looks kind of like a like a made for tv movie like a smaller budget yeah. like biopic very cookie cutter yeah. yeah it's it's a bit rough i mean it's an important story for sure you know but um, i mean now me personally i would love like you know something that's far more complex far more detailed like this is the type of story in my eyes that you in order to, for it to be legit this needs to be like a four hour long movie Right. Mm-hmm. But obviously you can't do that for general audiences. I get that. Completely understand. But maybe, you know, cut the difference between glorified children's story and 
four hour long epic and maybe get something, you know, in the middle. But with all that said, I thought the cinematography was pretty top notch. There's a, there's a lot of fantastic scenes in this. One in particular, like when when it goes into the uh, the part of the story gets to refer uh, in the Civil War, those scenes are fantastic. Mm. It's just like the screenplay is, oof, boy. How was Cynthia Erivo's performance? Because I feel like she's been killing it lately. I feel as though people are being very nice because she's playing Harriet Tubman. And I don't know if it's really necessarily her fault, but like I let one of the one of the reasons that this feels like a made for TV movie from the nineties is her performance. Mm. Oh, I see. It's, 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 it's a bit rough. She's in uh, that show, the outsider on HBO and she's really good in that. I highly recommend that show by the way. But the one, the one thing that I did thoroughly enjoy about Harriet is they do lean heavily into the kind of like the mysticism. It's like, uh, Harriet Tubman talking to God, mm. which I did like. So it kind of has that like magical realism angle to it, which was nice. All right. Yeah. Uh, that is Harriet. Uh, I saw the One Missed Call trilogy. So I saw One Missed Call 1, 2, and 3. There's uh, it, this, they're coming out with a box set. Arrow is releasing a box set on this, and I'm working on a review. So I caught up with the One Missed Call movies. They're, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a trilogy of Japanese films. came out in the uh, early to mid-2000s. Uh, the first one was directed by Takeshi Miike, and uh, the first one's pretty great. Like, the first one, pretty top-notch. Now, I saw the first one before, uh, years and years ago, but I, I, re I rewatched it, and I was like, wow, this, this really holds up. I mean, it's, it's a ring ripoff. Like, there's no doubt about it. When they were deciding to make this movie, they're like, uh, the ring is really popular, so let's do our own version involving cell phones and, but it works. It's, I think that the, the, the like the backstory, the, the whole like curse thing and, and all of that, it, it works in this context. I think including the technology angle was, was a smart choice. And I think that like, they were pretty astute to see back in the early two thousands, like, this whole cell phone thing is really blown up. Like soon people are going to be, their whole lives are going to be run by these cell phone things. And uh, I think that they were, they were on point with that. Now the sequel is not great. Not great at all. Like I, I thought I saw it before, but evidently not because I remembered literally nothing about it. And even after I saw the second one i'm not sure that i actually did see it because it has like no last staying power whatsoever like you don't it's basically like pretty much just like the first one they tweak mm -hmm. a couple things but very uninteresting story now the third one this one's a little bit different in that it doesn't follow the same sort of the ring tropes it does to a certain degree, but it it's, leans a little bit more into like a Final Destination type movie where the people who get the calls are being killed in more, I think, more interesting ways. Uh, they use a lot more CG in this one, which is it's bad, but at the same time, it's 
fun. So I, I'd say that, that part three is like the most fun. Part one is the scariest. Part two is nothing. Part three is like the most fun and the most entertaining. You also have the most people getting killed in this one. It's like a whole class of kids. So basically the premise of this one is that you have a whole high school class going to Korea, South Korea for a field trip and the curse uh, hits them. And one of the kind of hooks with this one is you get, in addition to the call, you get an email on your phone. And if you forward the email to somebody else, it skips mm. over you. So mm. like, so as long as you forward the email to someone else, it skips you and it doesn't kill you. So that added this really interesting dynamic where like when one of the kids would get the call, everyone else would try to steal, like take the phone, their phone from them so that they wouldn't be able to forward the email. So it added this mm. whole, like there, there's a lot of like infighting and like backstabbing and betrayal that happened within the class. And I thought that that was a kind of an interesting little hook. Now, the movie doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like once you start to learn like what's going on, you're just like, none of this makes any sense. But I think that that adds to the the fun factor of it. So I'll have a full writ written review for the, for the upcoming Blu-ray fairly soon. But that's the one missed call trilogy. Yeah, which I'm glad that you brought that up because I wanted to I wanted to tell you, and I'll tell everyone now, is that there's if you have Amazon Prime, there's a bunch of Miyake films I found out this weekend are on there to watch for free. Nice. You got to do like The Dead or Alive, all those movies, Gozu, Happiness of the Katakuris, uh, Ley Lines, Shinjoku, Triad Society, like a whole bunch of stuff on there. Nice. I know Shudder picked up a bunch of his stuff too. Oh my god, you can probably there's probably a chance that you can stream all of them right now. Uh, certainly a lot of them. Yeah, maybe not all of them. I mean, he's made like 620 <laughs> yeah. films. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you about a, a short film here. This is a, like a 30 minute short. So it's a long short. Right? All that perishes at the edge of land is what it's called, directed by uh, Hiranabe. And this is a short documentary about the workers at a shipbreaking yard of uh, Gadani in Pakistan. So this is a shipbreaking yard that used to be like the biggest one in the world. Now I think it's like the third largest in the world. So much of it is just, you know, footage of ships coming into shore and then the workers getting on this ship and then cutting it apart into scrap metal and all that. And we're talking massive, massive shipping vessels right it's like just enormous i mean it's just it's difficult you know watching this movie is just kind of it's kind of difficult to like process and comprehend like how large these things are and how it's just happening that they just grab it straight into the shore they just you know hit the beach and they just leave it there and all these people just board it getting paid like nothing and like with no safety equipment really, and they just get to work cutting it, just cutting it into pieces and just ripping it apart. And you know, it completely destroys the ecosystem around there. You know, like the fish can't, they can't be around that. Mm -hmm. They don't wanna be around that, they can't take it. It's too much stress. So it just, you know, it completely decimates this entire area 
you know, like this entire swath of ocean is just like not usable anymore because you're just cutting ships up. Um, so there's a lot of that, essentially like interviewing the workers that the workers talking about the conditions and all this and that. And, but, you know, it's not like a talking head documentary, right? It's just, you know, most of the footage is just these ships being cut apart and the workers kind of hanging out and eating and everything, talking with each other. And then another thing to add to it is they kind of do this like um, semi-experimental, like poetic voiceover where they kind of do poems that are from the viewpoint of the shipping vessel itself that's getting cut apart and kind of its impact on the the ecosystem that it's essentially come to die in. It's just, it's uh, it's very, very interesting, very captivating. So it would, if and when this plays, you know, wherever, I would definitely check it out. All right. And that's all the parishes at the edge of land. This sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's nuts. Because it's not something that you really think of, like, oh, what do they do with these shipping vessels? And then when you see what they do with them, you're just like, Oh, okay. I thought that they would, like, okay, they just cut them apart in the water and just leave all that trash there. Just huge, just, you know, and just oil, like all the oil from the ship just into the ocean. Oh, man. Uh, All right. I saw VFW from Joe Bagos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This came out on. Uh, uh, yeah. This came out over the weekend. This is on VOD, so you can check it out there. It's also playing in limited release. I think that they actually had some thirty-five millimeter screenings of this, or at least one. I could yeah. be. I could be getting this confused with Bliss, which came out just a few a few months ago, which was also directed by Joe Bagos. Interestingly, this this uh, one also features uh, George Went is in there and. Um, Dora Madison is in there as well from Bliss. Anyway, this one is a it's about a, a group of veterans who are hanging out and they're at their VFW and it takes place in a maybe near future or even like sort of alternate present where the opioid crisis uh, gets uh, blows up to to crazy proportions and this new synthetic drug called hype enters the streets and it sort of turns people it's so addictive that it sort of turns people into these like mutant zombie type not they're not zombies but they're like these ravenous addicts they're like these crazed junkies and mm-hmm. there's this this gang this like punk this like punk rock gang that uh deals this hype stuff and this young woman steals their whole stash of hype because the the leader of the gang kills her sister and she's she's on the run from this basically army of junkies and she happens upon this vfw and she hides and these junkies start laying siege to the vfw and it's up to this this gang of veterans to protect themselves and and their vfw from these uh these junkies and you have Stephen Lang in there as, as sort of the, the leader of the group. And then you have William Sadler, Fred Williamson, Martin Cove, David Patrick Kelly, and George went. 
Now, I mean, that's like, <laughs> what, a what a cast there. <laughs> what a great cast. So you have these like, you know, all these like older gentlemen coming back, sort of reprising their, their roles from the, you know, the late 70s, 80s exploitation cinema, just kicking so much ass in this. I mean, they're just, this movie is, it's all practical effects and it is over the top gory. I mean, dismemberments, people getting their heads blown off with shotguns. I mean, it is completely over the top and it is so much fun. I had a blast with this. I had a few nitpicks uh, and, and I'll, also I have a written review for this up on the site right now. One of the things that kind of bothered me is uh, early on when they start breaking in, the power gets shut off to the, the VFW and the emergency lights turn on. So a huge portion of this movie is just set to these dark red emergency lights and it mm -hmm. makes it really hard to see what the hell's going on. Like it's mm -hmm. very messy and it's, and a lot of the action scenes there, there's a lot of action and a lot of the action scenes are done in close up, and there's a lot of fast cuts going on and it's just really ugly and hard to see what's going on. The <laughs> overall, the overall look though, the overall aesthetic I was into, it felt very much like one of these, uh, 80s you know grindhouse movies that takes place in this sort of alternate new york city where everything is dirty you know like that 80s grimy grungy style where everything is just disgusting and dirty and i love that and i think that that bago sort of nailed that aesthetic in this you know i feel yeah. i feel it's it's like his take on uh assault on precinct 13 or something like that gotcha and uh, so overall, I thought it was it was quite effective. And and I mean, it's I mean, we're talking bare bones here. Like they give he gives you exactly enough backstory on these characters, like just just to get you going like they're he pretty much just sticks to the action. And so the, the so the narrative itself is very thin. I mean, what I what I described is pretty much the whole movie. So if you if you're expecting like this really deep story or like a lot of like contemplation around like how we treat our veterans or something like that. None of that is in this. Like this is just straight up a bunch of vets fucking up a bunch of other people. Like that is, that is the story. And I was all, I was all for it. Yeah. Just nice, nice and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I have one other one. Uh, and that is if I were the winter itself directed by uh, Yasmin Lopez, the Argentinian director that did uh, back in 2012 did Leones, which uh, for me was like one of the best movies in like the last you know 10 years or so. So kind of been waiting patiently for a, a follow up because that was her debut. So finally get a follow up sophomore film here, and uh, this is while I didn't think it was as good as Leones, but. It's still pretty fantastic. I love just her her style of filmmaking, um, which involves a lot of uh, long takes. But within those long takes, the camera kind of, like say you're in, the characters are in a room. Like there's one uh, scene in particular where this woman is dancing around with like a, like a, a, a sword or a rapier, whatever the hell you want to call it. 
just just kind of dance around this room. There's pop music playing, and uh, the camera's kind of circling the perimeter of the room, right? So when you know it goes past one point, there's like a couch there, and there's there's a dog on the couch or whatever. By the time it circles back around, that that area of the scene has changed, you know, where she introduces these little additions where it changes them slightly, that type of thing, by the time the camera gets back around, which I don't know why, but it is, it is like, it always works for me. Like, I'm a simple man. And <laughs> it's, just like, it's like movie magic to me for some reason, even though it's just like, okay, you, because there's even one time where, like, a guy changes his outfit when the camera, like, kind of moves around. And, like, he starts before they he's out of the frame, so you see him, like, for a split second, like, taking off his shirt. And then, of course, when it comes back to him, he's wearing, like, the same exact clothing as the person beside him. So, like, you, you know what's happening. Like, it's not magic. But I don't know why. But, you know, every time it happens, I'm just like, oh, wow, how they do that. <laughs> I love that. Fucking movies. Wow. Cinema. So there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's tons of it. There's one that gets you because they, it's these these friends go to this remote estate, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. This big, fucking beautiful mansion, just old style. I mean, it's incredible. And uh, they're there. There's a filmmaker, and he's with his friends, and he wants to essentially reenact three scenes, two scenes from separate movies from a Godard movie and a Faraki movie from the set or from the '60s, and then a like a visual performance by uh, Anna Vendita. So he wants to do these three things. So it's just these guys hanging out there trying to reenact these these scenes. And of course, it's that, uh, you know, the old uh, reality starts blurring with their reenactments. And uh, there's, you know, it's during the, like the spring or summer, I think. I can't remember. <laughs> but when, like, when they leave, it's very unexpected, but because you've come to, you know, kind of understand what the, the outside landscape is. And then near the end, when they leave, it's something completely different that's kind of catches you off guard. And that's the thing with this movie that I, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing, but overall, I enjoyed it because because of that, because of all those elements, it just it felt like you never knew what was going to happen. Like at any moment, something unexpected could happen. It could, you know, could go a completely different direction. Even within a scene, that scene could completely change. You know what I mean? It's just like any moment, unexpected things could happen, which is kind of invigorating. And that's if I were the winner itself. That's not out yet, right? That's no, not yet. No, I played out uh, Rotterdam. Cool. I'll have to keep a keep an eye out on that one. Sounds like I might be into it. Uh, the final one that I'll mention is Paris is Burning from 1990. Never saw this. This is the first time I ever saw this one. Classic documentary from Jenny Livingston. This is coming out on Criterion in the near future. So um, well, I'm going to be working on a review for the Criterion Blu-ray that's coming out. Uh, what I mean, I, I knew all about this movie. I felt like this is one of these movies that I've seen it before, even though I really haven't seen it. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I thought it was incredible. Like this is a, this is a 10 out of 10 
documentary. I think it's maybe one of the, maybe one of the, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say maybe it's one of the best documentaries ever made, but that, that's, that's really strong. I don't want to like just nonchalantly, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, throw that just drop that. There. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible documentary. If you're not familiar, it is, uh, it takes a look at the, the ball scene in New York city in the, late i think it's like 86 87 when this takes place and uh it's it's just incredible it it profiles certain people that uh, attend these balls and this is where like voguing this is where voguing came from and mm-hmm. there were there were so many like trends that 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 the new york ball scene started like uh you know like that, that term when when people say throwing shade like I think that came from this. Like, I'm pretty sure that that's where that whole term throwing shade started with, with voguing and how like voguing is basically like a dance battle of sorts where the whole point of voguing is like to, to diss the other house. So like you have houses, which are basically clubs and all of the, the members are in like rival houses and stuff. And it's just this really kind of fascinating. And positive look at how the how this community was formed and like you have a lot of these people who were ostracized by society they a lot of these people were you know kicked out of their homes because they were gay or trans and uh they found this community which was accepting and welcoming and very positive and i think that uh when you see a documentary like this that that came out so long ago it's like wow this was it, f- it felt like really it was so progressive for the time and like to see where things are now compared to back then and even though of course we still have a long 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 way to go and we're not there yet but i think that we've made a lot of progress in just um that amount of time so I think that this documentary is an absolute must see the, the criterion version specifically. I mean, it looks great. I think it's a little light on supplements actually, but, um, <laughs> the, the film itself is, uh, an absolute must see, uh, Paris is burning. And if you're familiar with that show pose on FX, that show is essentially based on this movie in fact one of the subjects of the documentary i think was in pose as like a, an extra or like a like a one of the judges at, at the ball I, i'm not familiar with with the show but yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty good and man you know i i always talk about i love 80s new york city and this this movie has so much of that glorious eighties New York in it. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of scenes where she sort of juxtaposes like, like the wall street lifestyle to what was happening like in the village during, like at these balls and stuff. And it's just, it's so great. Such, such a great documentary. Okay. Let's take a look at what we have in theaters this week. We got Brahms, the boy two coming out. Remember the boy? That was a movie that came out a few years ago. Yes, I finally just realized what this was because I kept getting confused because I'm like, was there a Brahms, the boy one? I don't get this. 
Yeah, it came out a while ago. I, I don't remember when, like four years ago, maybe five years ago. I, I remember not uh, thinking that it was particularly great. So I, I don't know. This one, not not too interested in, actually. Uh, we also have Call the Wild, which is the new one with Harrison Ford, the Jack London. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, does this look bad to me, at least. Mm-hmm. Looks really bad to me. Like, they use, like why, why do the CG dog? You can do it. Oh, I yeah. mean, the Call of the Wild, that movie's been made, and they used a real dog. So you couldn't use a real dog, and then, you know, when during the scenes where there's, like, a lot of action that would require a CG dog to just do, do the CG then... You make the whole thing animated? I don't know. It just doesn't look like the, the the animation quality of the dog. I mean, it looks fine, but we're not quite at like 100% yet where you could you could see that and be like, Man, is that, is that real? You know, you know, we haven't really quite hit that yet. It still looks like a cartoon dog. I don't know. I'll be skipping that one. Anyway, That those are the wide releases in Limited release we have Come and See. We have Conundrum, Secrets Among Friends, Emma. Mm. Goldie is coming out. Uh, that one's probably worth a look. Impractical Jokers, the movie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about, about that. Based on the True TV series, Impractical Jokers. I've seen that show. My nephews watch it. I don't get it. I've never actually seen it. I've seen ads for it, and that was enough for me to get the gist. Yeah. No. No, thank you. Uh, Jinpa, Just One More Kiss, My Boyfriend's Meds, The Night Clerk, Once We're Brothers, Robbie Robertson in the band. There you go. There's your rock doc. Yeah, there's rock doc. Premature. Seaberg is getting a limited release, uh, and that's that's pretty much it. For theaters, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the 18th, we have Kill the Monsters. And then on Friday, we have Goldie, Ragdoll, which is uh, a female sports drama set in the world of mixed martial arts. We got The Night Clerk. I'm curious about this one. It's with Ty Sheridan. While on duty, a young, socially challenged hotel clerk witnesses a murder in one of the rooms, but his suspicious actions land him as the lead detective's number one suspect. Mm, I'd take a Ty Sheridan place to... Of course. Yeah, it's a, so it'll really get that full range of Ty Sheridan action. Of yeah. him not talking. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. It also stars Anna de Armas and John Leguizamo and Helen Hunt. Yeah, it looks terrible. Ah, I mean, I'm not rushing out to see it or anything, but might might give it a look. Top End Wedding comes out. Oh boy, Top End Wedding. Maybe contender for poster of the year on this one. It's uh, something else. Premature is coming out as well. Blu-ray this week. We got Jojo Rabbit coming out. Looks like it's some sort of uh, Tex Avery collection. Tex Avery oh. Screwball Classics Volume 1, 1943 to 1951. So if you're into Tex Avery, maybe give that a look. 
Midway is coming out. That's the Roland Emmerich one that came out last year. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. That's the Mr. Rogers uh, one with Tom Hanks. I was a little disappointed with that. Mm-hmm. 21 Bridges. Mm-hmm. That was a quick turnaround for 21 Bridges. We I got, don't know why. That title. I know. Got Deadly Manor from 1990. This is on Arrow. We'll have a review for this one up on the site very shortly. The Point from 1971 is coming out on the MVD Rewind Collection. Uh This is a 50th anniversary Ultimate Edition. Jerry from 2002 is coming out on Shout Factory. Mind Games from 1989 also coming out on the MVD Rewind Collection. High School High from 1996 starring uh, John Lovitz. Remember that one? Spoof. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a classic right there. Dangerous Minds spoof. Uh, let's see. That's uh, pretty much. That's pretty much it. What about Criterion's this week? Well, we got we got two. So first is a re-release of the the documentary of uh, architect Antonio Gaudi. So this is from 1984. This has already been out, but you know it's getting a new Blu-ray release. It's some uh, some shorts and some documentaries on there and whatnot. And then you also have uh, Pasolini's Theorema from 1968, which a lot of people love this movie. I absolutely hate it. Mm. So. Okay. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. A big thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you later.